0: All right. I feel like that's been a big build-up for my message. I feel like I'm going to have to like, you're going to bring out a big rock or something and I'm going to have to pray till it's broken or something. So thank you, Marcus. Love your joy. Thank you, Declan, for leading us in communion. Um, I love the fact that you, uh, where is Declan? Uh, There he is right at the back. I love the fact you've grabbed like a New Testament passage, an Old Testament, another Old Testament and you've like. Brought the whole message in four minutes, like normally takes me about 35 to do the same. So that's really good. And uh, he probably doesn't want me to point him out. I don't know if it's your first time back here, Kurt. It is. And uh, so it's just great to have Kurt back in the house. Can we just say welcome him back? Um, uh, Kurt is about to head. Uh, overseas for about six months. So uh, I'm going to pray for you if that's all right, because we want to just pray blessing upon your journey. So Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for our brother Kurt, uh, who obviously we know and love so much, and we just want to pray that these next six months uh, will just be a real time of rich blessing for him. We pray for Ange as well, uh, the time they're going to spend together in the States, and the opportunity to go to Indonesia as well. We want to pray that you'll Go with him, go before him, uh, bless him, teach him, encourage him, encourage them through this whole time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, we are on um, the final message of uh, the series on Elijah. And I don't know about you, um, I have just loved this incredible story about this guy, this little story tucked away in uh, the book of 1 Kings, where we just get to see this uh, this guy and, and how he uh, trusted in God and God worked through him in such really interesting ways, but then also this journey of him going through highs and lows of life and seeing how faith is not just about kind of doing incredible miracles, but sometimes it's about... Uh, discovering where God is when life is tough and when you struggle and make mistakes. So we started out, just to go through the series, uh, talking about trusting in God to provide and about how uh, Elijah was fed by ravens, by birds, and then how God miraculously provided, again, uh, food when he was in the house of a widow. And uh, then the second one was crying out for a miracle. And we saw how Elijah, in the same household, where God had been doing this miracle of provision, uh, the, the son of this lady uh, died and we saw this most incredi- incredible miracle where Elijah like cried out and the son was raised from the dead. And first time, if I've got this right, in Scripture where that uh, event occurs. Secondly, uh, thirdly, uh, if the Lord is God, follow him. Zoe uh, Gaskin came along, shared us a message. Uh, just really this question about if the Lord is God, follow him. And if, if Baal is God, go after him. But if the Lord is God, then don't muck around. Uh, just follow God and uh, then the next message confidence in God the battle on top of Mount Carmel and um, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal Craig Schultz brought us the message how to survive uh, the best day of your life is that what it was <laughs> it was great and um, then I preached two weeks ago from hero to zero when after that incredible event Elijah goes from this incredible faith And then he uh, hears the message that uh, Jezebel is uh, wanting to kill him and he gets scared, runs away, a long way away. And then eventually he heads even further away, ends up in this cave, uh, which Dex spoke about, which uh, Sam preached on last Sunday night. And he hears the silent whisper of God. And so our message uh, uh, tonight is called uh, Passing the Baton. And I don't know if you remember this story, Beijing Olympics 2004. Uh really in the track and field, the, the highlight event, there's probably two key events. It's the 100 meters freestyle, and then it's the 4x100 relay. And going into the uh, 4x100 relay final, uh, they ran the women's first, and then the men's uh, second. And the team that were absolute favorites to win were the Americans. Okay, the American women were the fastest uh, team by a mile. Okay, they pretty much had... The, this relay in the bag because they knew that they had the four fastest runners. Okay, so nothing could go wrong except something went wrong. They forgot one crucial thing in a relay, and that is that you've got to pass the baton. Uh, and if you can see the baton there, bottom left, and she's just looking, I don't know what she's looking, she's looking really upset. The girl at the back, girl at the front, she's looking hopeful, but. She doesn't realize the baton is gone. The men's race came around, and uh, again, the Americans, uh, either the Americans or the Jamaicans were favored to win, but the Americans pretty much knew that the worst they could do is silver, because again, they were the top two teams, they had the fastest runners in the world, and uh, uh, well, that's the end of the women's race, and then the men came along, and I don't know if you can tell there, but that that is not how you pass a baton in a relay. (laughs) That is not going well and their baton fell to the ground as well. Both teams didn't complete the race. So, passing the baton is important, and we're going to be talking about that tonight. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul gives the image of the Christian life as a race. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He goes on to say, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we get it to do a crown that will last forever. And I guess I want to point out tonight that while there's this image of of running the race and and being part of that, and it's such an important image that Christianity is not just about kind of, uh, just about Getting blessing and soaking it up and it's not even about being a spectator it would be a completely wrong understanding to think that there's certain people pastors missionaries who run the race and you guys are spectators who cheer us on everyone is running the race but there's another part to the story that uh, we're actually running in a relay race more than just our own individual race our race is like a relay in that it's crucial that we're actually charged with the task to pass on the baton of faith uh, in, in many different ways. We're charged to pass on the baton of the gospel to those who don't know it. We're charged to pass on the wisdom and knowledge that we've gained to the younger generations and to encourage the younger generations in their relationship with God so that what we have come to know and how we have come to grow, we might help them on that same journey. And this taps into our last passage uh, from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 Chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up and you can follow it. That's the best way. Uh, So from verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing uh, with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. So, tonight I'm looking at three verses. So, if Deck can do three passages in four minutes, I should be able to do this in fairly short time. Uh, It's a simple passage, it's a simple image of what happens in this story, but I think it's also an incredibly powerful message. So, let me give you a little context to this. It starts off saying, so Elijah went... Uh, from there, or Elijah went and found Elisha. So we need to go back a little bit and capture the last bit of the previous passage. So from verse 15, this is Elijah in the cave. God has come and spoken to him and met him. And God says to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, you need to anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And here's the crucial part, anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Maloha to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Haziel and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So, preceding this story, uh, God says to Elijah in the cave, as he comes and meets him, he calls him to return. He says, "...go back the way you came. You've run away, you've been in hiding, you've been trying to escape stuff, but now I'm going to send you back. You need to get back into the race." Secondly, he says, "...I've got a renewed mission for you. I've got things I need you to do. I've got a mission for you. I've got a task. I want you to return to your calling." And uh, I want you to anoint a new king, Uh, in fact two new kings, and I want you to anoint a successor, a guy who's going to take your place and his name is Elisha. And finally God gives him restored hope. God speaks truth to Elijah and says there are 7,000 people still who have not bended the knee. Now the interesting part here is that Elijah, when he was down, uh, said to God, you know, God, they've killed all the prophets and I'm the only one left who hasn't bowed the knee to, to Baal. Like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one still standing following God. And God here uh, actually speaks truth to him and restores his hope by revealing to him actually what reality is, not how Elijah is perceiving reality. There's actually a point here I want to make, is that when we're down and when we're struggling, we actually don't necessarily perceive reality as it really is. We can get to a situation in our life where we feel hopeless, but actually when there is God in the picture, there is always hope. We might get to a picture in our life where we think there is no future, but when we are trusting in God and following His way, there is always a future. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) This is good news. And so reality versus perception, that's where we need to be careful to listen to God's voice. And when God comes and speak, he can actually speak truth to us uh, rather than just uh, letting our own fears decide uh, our future and, and what we think reality is. Anyway, that's just the context that leads up to uh, this passage. So from the cave, Elijah heads back uh, to go and do the mission that God has charged him with. And he finds Elisha. And Elisha is obviously a farmer, he's plowing the fields, and the image is that uh, they would obviously plow the fields in a group, and he was the 12th, he was the last one, he was at the back. And he finds him plowing, and he takes his cloak, and he throws it over Elisha. Now this is a bit of a weird image, so I should explain it. Uh, Some versions, to start with, call it a cloak or a coat, and others call it a mantle. You may have heard that term, passing on the mantle. So the mantle, or the cloak, was basically uh, this particular robe that a prophet would wear that, that designated or signified to people that he was a prophet. A little bit like uh, if you see um, a, a priest in robes. You know, I used to live uh, down near Glenelg, and sometimes I would see out in the streets the Greek Orthodox priest who must have lived in the area, but he would just do his shopping in his massive big black robes, right? And uh, he either looked like a Greek Orthodox priest or going off to a fancy dress party. But um, And he would be, you know, you would see him and it was quite clear that he was a priest. And uh, people, when they saw me, uh, you know, in the grocery store, probably didn't realize that because I just wear this kind of stuff, which... I think is normal. Um, anyway, so he had this particular uh, cloak made out of animal skin that was a symbol of his authority. So when he actually arrived places, when he traveled around, people would recognize this is this is a prophet. This is a man of God. And um, some people saw that the mantle or the cloak had a kind of a spiritual significance so that when he places it on, it's like an actual sort of uh, spiritual anointing. I'm not sure about that. To me, that doesn't really matter. But what it is, it's about him when he comes over and he takes his cloak and he puts it on the shoulders of Elisha. He's saying, I'm actually charging you to be my successor. The cloak that I have worn as a prophet, I'm now placing on you. And you are being charged with this task and responsibility. Um, Elisha's response is interesting. He says um, this strange saying, and it doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, He says to him, well, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll come back to you. And Elijah's response is, go back, what have I done to you? And then so Elijah goes back and then he comes and follows him. I've tried to make sense of this verse and so looking at some uh, theologians who have studied this, uh, it's not that um, Elisha was having second thoughts or lacking faith, he just wanted to, to go back and of course his actions show actually, yep, he was fully sold on following Elijah and um, so basically it's, a, it's an idiom, it's a phrase that means something different to how it sounds. So that like if you say, I'm over the moon about something, you're not actually over the moon about it. So basically what this thing was saying was Elijah just saying, okay, yep, you can go back to your family. So he, did, he does, he goes back to his family, says goodbye, and then follows them. So that's kind of the, the flow of the passage. Let me kind of draw out some stuff about how I feel it applies to our lives Uh, The first thing I want to say is this um, is that you've got to know that you're in a race. To, To pass on a baton, you first need to know that you are in a race. God has rescued Elijah and he's called Elijah into a mission. And I guess the story for us, the race for us starts in remembering as we go about our daily life that God has rescued us and called us into a mission. And as I kind of prepared this message, I was thinking about God meeting Elijah in a cave and calling him back. Um, It reminded me of the story, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, about the the guys that were trapped in the cave in Thailand and that that incredible rescue mission that was mounted to try to rescue these guys out of a cave. And and for me, this story here is about God's rescue mission for uh, Elijah. It's an incredible rescue mission. It involves God coming and meeting him personally and speaking in a small, still voice, but it involves this wind that comes and breaks rocks apart and God coming and personally speaking to Elijah in a really amazing and profound way. And I guess we need to remember that we are actually called into a race, that our life is about actually the fact that our Christian life starts with being rescued by God, just as Elijah was rescued in a cave, we have been rescued and then we've been called into a cause. Uh, God meets Elijah and says, mate, there's stuff for you to go and do. And I feel that's true for all of us. We are actually saved into a cause. So the purpose of the Christian life is not simply to kind of sit back and say, well, I've been blessed to be more blessed. And I measure Christianity based on kind of like just wanting to feel great and and trust that God's going to make life easy and safe for me. No, God says, I've got a race for you to run. I've got a purpose for you. And it's going to be like, like any race, at times it's going to be hard and tiring and exhausting and challenging, but God has got a purpose for our life. So the first point tonight is just a reminder, you're in a race. You're in a race, you've got a purpose, you've got a, a journey to run. The second thing is to value what you hold. If you are running in a, um, a relay, then that baton is everything. That baton is everything. If that baton doesn't reach the finish line, it doesn't matter how quick you are. It doesn't matter how good your teammates is. It doesn't matter how long you've trained. It doesn't matter anything. All that matters is the understanding the value of what you hold. That's the first thing. And I guess I just want to remind us that what we hold is so valuable. That as Christians, we hold the gospel. We hold this message in our hand. It's been entrusted to us. And there is nothing more valuable than to be able to pass that on and play a part in that. And I know for me, my kids, I, um, I want to pass on lots of things to my kids. Um, I want to pass on to them uh, morals and values. I want them to be, uh, grow up to be respectful uh, of themselves and of others. I want to, uh, my kids to grow up and I want to pass on to them a value of honesty. I want to pass on to them a value of hard work. I want to value, uh, pass on to them uh value of uh, integrity. All of these kind of things I'm seeking to pass on and sow into my kids' life. But I know there is something greater than that that I hope to do my best to pass on to my children. That is the message of the gospel, that they might take that up and run with it. It's interesting. Um, uh, I know this isn't a story for later in the sermon. I'm going to keep going. Um, Paul, and and of course, that is the same passion that I have for my church. The Apostle Paul says, uh, my children, talking about a church, he says, my children for whom I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The Apostle Paul, who really has no idea about the pains of childbirth, but he just uh, goes with that illustration anyway, um, he says, you know... (laughs) He he says, this is how much I wrestle with the desire to pass on the baton of faith to you so that you would be formed in faith. And the expanded kind of uh, version of Scripture says that you'll be formed completely and permanently. Paul's like, I've got a baton and I just long to pass this on to you. And so uh, all of us are entrusted with this incredible task and responsibility to know firstly that we're in a race and secondly that we're actually carrying something. We're actually carrying something. It's kind of a pretty cool image to think as you go into tomorrow that you don't go to work just on your own. You're actually going to work holding something. You're you're, you're actually carrying the gospel. You're entrusted with it. It's not physically something like a baton that you're running around with. Maybe it would be a great reminder to just carry, maybe. (laughs) Here's the thing you could make a baton and write on it the gospel and just carry it everywhere you go. People on the bus go, what is that? It's the gospel that I'm carrying. <laughs> Let me share it with you. Maybe not. Um, I will move on. Thirdly, uh, you've got to look ahead. That's the next point. You've got to look ahead. You've got to look ahead. You, look ahead. Um, you know, um, there's a wonderful parallel with this story of Elijah and Elisha, which is the story of John the Baptist and Jesus so John the Baptist actually got around wearing this weird outfit of camel's hair and this strange coat and uh, this you know, belt around his waist. And there's actually this parallel with how he dressed and how Elijah dressed. And there was a, an idea that he was like an Elijah figure, and he was preparing for the Elisha who was to come, which was Jesus. And uh, there's a challenge here, particularly for older people in the church to think about are we looking ahead about uh, who we actually want to pass the baton on to and um, it's a very very powerful thing if you are able to look ahead and be willing to pass on the baton there's a lot of churches who have stopped looking ahead at some point and forgotten that they're holding a gospel baton that needs to be passed on and because they fail to look ahead they actually just lose a whole generation Uh, I've been blessed in my story because someone was looking ahead to me. And for those who have been around for a few years, the story of how I came to be the senior pastor of this church is because Colin Rolfs was the senior pastor of this church. He was a three-month interim who stuck around for five years. Um, He got asked to do that. He didn't just stay. But he was looking ahead and wanting to find a pastor who he could pass on the baton to and i came into the role in the church as an associate pastor and after 12 months, we changed the old signs on the, the, you know, the, the signs that used to hang off with our names on the bottom of the old sign on the bottom of the church, where it said, Colin Rolfe, Senior Pastor, Mark Sanders, Associate Pastor. And after 12 months, we changed those signs, and I became the Senior Pastor. And then Colin, who had like 40 years of ministry experience, humbled himself and became the Associate Pastor for a year so that we could transition ministry smoothly, and he could equip me and then release me and be excited to see me take on that role. There are a lot of people, a lot of pastors, who wouldn't do that because they're desperately holding on to the baton and they're not willing to look ahead and then pass it on. And as Christians, we've got to be people who are saying, well, am I looking ahead about who I can pass on a baton to? That might be for you the way in which you play a role in, I don't know, a younger sibling. It might be the way in which you actually bless and encourage the younger people who are part of this service for some of you, it might be that you're currently serving or could serve in the future in the area of children's ministry or youth, youth ministry, that you actually look beyond yourself, and beyond this congregation, which is primarily young adults, that you're thinking about, how can I be a blessing? How can I look ahead to the generation ahead? What an awesome thing if we were able to do that. Um, thirdly, fourthly, this is linked uh, actually to pass it on. We actually look ahead and then pass on the baton. Do you know that there's a whole lot of remarkable things that Elijah does in his story? right? He gets fed by ravens, he does a miracle which allows a family to be fed for a couple of years by by God doing a miracle. He uh, prays for someone to be raised from the dead, which is a pretty impressive miracle. Yet I suspect that in this small act, passing the baton on from himself to Elisha, putting the cloak on Elisha, it's actually, possibly, that is the greatest act that he does, passing it on. Because Elisha goes on to have an even greater ministry Than Elijah, Elisha heals the waters of Jericho. He multiplies also a widow's oil. He prophesies uh, a a son for a wealthy family. What am I doing here? I've missed the. Oh, don't worry. My notes don't make any sense. I shall move on. He multiplied twenty barley loaves and he cured Naaman of leprosy. Elisha goes on to have a greater ministry than Elijah did, which is really incredible. And it wouldn't have happened if he didn't pass on the mantle. Um. About last year, uh, maybe midway through last year, I um, went to support a friend of mine whose father had passed away. So I went to his father's funeral service, which was being held in the small town of Maitland on the York Peninsula. And when I got there, uh, the the service was happening in the Uniting Church uh, in Maitland. So I'm sitting in this church and uh, I suddenly uh, started to... the, the Cogs in my brain started to work, and I started to think about something, because I realized that my dad grew up in Maitland, in this town. And uh, my dad's dad grew up in Maitland, in this town. So I'm sitting in this 100-year-old church, and I suddenly realized, this is where my dad went to Sunday school. And then I realized, this is where my grandfather went to Sunday school. This is where my grandfather became a Christian in this building. This is where my dad was raised as a child in faith, in this building. And then I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, there is a generational connection that I've got to this building. I hadn't even thought about it till I was sitting there. And I suddenly realized that my faith is influenced, of course, by the faith of my father, who was influenced by the faith of his father. And we've got generations of people who have sown the seed of the gospel and passed on the baton. And now I'm seeking to do that to my son. But this isn't just about families. This is also about a heritage of faith that is uh, just about uh, families of faith that happen. Because someone, and I know who that person is, shared the gospel with me, And uh, I know who the person was preaching when I heard the gospel. I know who the person was who encouraged me to go on a camp. And I've probably shared this story too many times that I went on a camp where uh, first year of university, went on an O-week Christian camp and became a Christian on that camp because someone had invited me to go on that. So they're, they're part of my heritage of faith and someone's part of theirs. And then there's people who I have... Uh, done ministry too and I remember a time when I got a phone call from someone who'd been a 13 year old kid in my youth group and she was now running a ministry and she was calling up to encourage me to be you know part of that ministry or whatever and I got off the phone I'm like wow like she was just a kid now she's doing ministry and leading people to Jesus and there's this like network of faith of people who run the race look ahead pass the baton and be a blessing and here's the story every single one of us play, is called to play a part in that in one way or another it doesn't matter what your personality is doesn't ma- matter what your role of ministry is every single one of us have a part to play in passing that on and so here's the last one we got to look ahead we got to pass it on and um but here's the final one this is the one i want to challenge you with as i leave as i leave it the to message tonight firstly the last thing is you got to let go to take it up You've got to let something to go to take the baton. Let's look at this passage again. This is, I think, an incredible verse of Scripture, verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they all ate. So he goes back to his village, and basically his whole... possession his whole material goods that enable him to produce any income is his oxen and his plow right so he's got the wooden plowing system and the and the wooden thing the plow that goes behind the oxen and uh, so what he does is he he grabs them and he burns all the wood and then he, he kills the oxen and then he cooks up all the oxen and he gets the whole town around and it's like everyone let's have a feast and i got nothing left now and I don't need anything because I'm basically going all in with this guy, Elijah, and the ministry he's entrusted to me. You know, he couldn't go out on the journey. Here I come, Elijah. I've just got my plow coming along. I might plow some earth as I'm seeking to follow you. That is not going to happen. You know, here I come. I'm riding my oxen. Um, he, he... <laughs> it's a strange image, I know. I just, that wasn't in my notes. I just, I don't know. He had to let something go to actually take up, the, take up the ministry that he was being entrusted with. He couldn't sort of just stick around and say, I'll sort of follow you, sort of not. And I just want to, I guess, use that as a, as a challenge tonight to ask the question, what do, you need to, what do you need to burn? What do you need to burn? Is there something is there something that that you know what the oxen and the, and the plow actually wasn't like some terrible sinful thing, but it was actually just going to be the thing that got in between him and his calling and so he had to set it aside and sometimes that's how it is sometimes there's, there might be something tonight you 're stirred up with like if i 'm going to follow god i've actually got a uh, there's actually maybe it is a sinful thing, but maybe it's just something that, that that's uh, something you're too focused on, spend too much time in, uh, whatever, that actually stops you from being fully sold in following Jesus. What do you need to set a light to tonight and call everyone around and say, let's have a bonfire and let's uh, enjoy this food because I need to get that out of my life because I have actually got a calling on my life to follow Jesus. That's the message. Can we get the band up? It was meant to have a dramatic ending but I kind of forgot that bit. Um... (laughs) So this is what I'm going to do tonight. We've got the prayer people who are going to come to the front. But I I just had this idea, and we'll just see how it goes. Um, But uh, we've got a few uh, elders in the room. We've got a few elder elders in the room. And uh, we've got Craig and Kathy, who are um, a vital part. We've got John and Jenny up the back, and we've got some Mosleys out here. And uh, they're, they're people who are part of this service on a really regular basis. And they're kind of like the elder statesman among us. You probably won't appreciate me saying that. Um, But what I would like you guys to do, if you're willing, is actually just to go to the back of the room or the sides of the room. And um, it's a very powerful thing just to have someone pray a blessing upon you. So I had this idea that it would be wonderful for some of you guys as younger people just to have an opportunity for some of the older people in the room to pray a blessing over you. And I'm going to be at the front too, um, so even though I'm exceptionally youthful, I'll, I, 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 I'll join in playing the role of one of the older people in the room. <laughs> Clearly I'm not. Um, but I'd love to just pray a blessing and, and just like a, just a real short prayer. Um, just last week, uh, uh, um, two weeks ago, I was in Brisbane, and there was an opportunity uh, at the end of the conference that I was at uh, for, for people to pray for me for some intercessors from this church just to pray o- over uh, the people who are there and I was just like I was like wow I do a lot of praying for people I don't get prayed for a lot and it's such a b- blessing just to be prayed for and so um, I'm not saying like if your world's come to an end come and be prayed for I'm just saying just come and be prayed for and so if uh, oh Debbie that's a Debbie as well Debbie Grace would be lovely to, to, to do that um, and if I've missed anyone who wants to to do that so can we just have that you guys stand up and we've got a couple of songs to to finish our night um john cam he's at the back of the room too if you know john can i get you to do that as well john i know i reckon you'd love to pray for people and uh, he's not nodding but i'll just go with that um so he's an awesome guy he's here very regularly now so if those people just want to be around the room and while we're worshipping, uh, if you just want to be free just to move about and just go and just I want to just pray a blessing over you as a, as a older person from a, a generation above you and a generation of faith praying over you, I think it would be a really powerful thing. Let's do it. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.